Dan Picknell, in light of the big data drop and the revelations and the police mishandling of the whistleblower, there are big questions about Andrew Costa, who's our Commissioner of Police. And into that context, I want to put a recent letter that you have sent to the Commissioner of Police. First of all, tell us, Dan, what is your background in the police? Thanks, Liz. Uh, so I was in the police for just over 19 years. Um, I spent most of my time in a rural station, about 16 years of that, and all of my time was frontline duties. Um, yeah, so had a really really good broad experience of policing, um, doing all sorts of work and doing investigative work as well. It was quite a big part of that. And during that time, would you say you became aware of corruption or was it really only in the last few years that that became something that was of deep concern to you, Dan? I'd say it all, it all pretty much came to light when the COVID crisis started happening. Um, you know, there, there were issues in the police prior to that, and I, but I would just like to say, before I go too far into that, um, the majority of people in the police are really good people and they do a really tough job. And they, most people that join, join because they want to serve their communities. But like any organisation, wherever you are, there's always an element that runs through it that isn't as good as it should be. What's really uh, worrying, What's I, I acknowledge that, what's really worrying is when that element, the, the bad apples, as people call it, when they rise to the top, or to use another metaphor, they say that a fish rots from the head down. So in your communications with Andrew Costa, tell us what your call was. Were you calling for the head of our New Zealand police to be replaced? Yes, I was. Well, I actually gave him an opportunity uh, to do the right thing and investigate what's going on. I actually started this, I'll, I'll take you back. Um, so back in on the 5th of March 2021, when I was working frontline duties as a police officer. I'd come to some conclusions that what we were doing didn't really fit with what felt right um, instinctively. And so I'd been doing research for a few months prior to this because I'd seen the effects of the way we were policing, um, you know, doing border checks and turning people around. Um, so. I just felt this doesn't seem right. So initially I thought, yep, when it first started, I thought, yeah, there could be a problem here. But it didn't it didn't seem right from quite quite early on what we were doing. Doing border checks and turning people round. What were you meaning yeah, by that? Uh, so we were starting to prevent people traveling within Auckland. Mm -hmm. Um so and you know, telling people to stay in their areas. Um these are some of the COVID. Uh, restrictions and lock, lockdown measures, um, you know, and making people wear masks didn't seem right. Um, you know, it started off fairly low level, uh, public transport and things like this, but it didn't seem right. So, you know, I'd, I'd ask some supervisors, why, why are we doing this? It doesn't seem that masks are any use. We'd been told by our, our government and, and our health officials at the very start, um, a mask is not something that you should be doing. It's not not in your interest to be wearing masks. And then they they change their mind. Um, 
And so I, I found that suspicious. Um, so I did a bit of research on it, and then I realised that the mask could be potentially more harmful than of any benefit. So I asked some supervisors, why are we doing this, you know, telling people to wear masks and, and enforcing some of the policies around that? And they said, well, it's about getting people to do what they're told. And it's agree with me. I was like, no, that's not the right reason, you know. So I continued researching. Um, found out a whole lot of information, learned about PCR tests and their suitability uh, for measuring, you know, viruses, and I found out quite a lot. So I also believe that the COVID health response legislation that we were operating under was unlawful, and the reasons being that, you know, we'd been declaring that we had a problem based on PCR test results. Um, I won't go into that too much, but um, you know, I basically believe that the false negatives that we were getting were the reason that we were declaring cases and, and the like, which enabled them to enforce restrictions on on people. So businesses were suffering, people in my community were suffering financially, uh, mentally. Um, there were a lot of stressed, upset people, and it just seemed unnecessary. There's, so, a, there's a huge I, story behind the PCR tests and people have to do their own research, but even the person who came up with them never envisaged them being used in the way that they've been used. But we basically, Dan, in, in many ways, had perfectly healthy people getting a negative test. Perhaps if they tried a second time, it might be positive. But the first time they get that negative test, they suddenly are counted as unhealthy when in front of our eyes they're in good health. So it was a sort of Munchausen by proxy situation for a while there, wasn't it? It was It was a very odd situation and a very odd way to count people as sick who were not manifesting any sickness in many cases. No, absolutely. Um, as I say, I won't delve into it. There's, there's plenty of information about that. Um, but what, what I ended up getting to was I, because under the police code of conduct, anybody within the organisation can raise concerns about another member, um, about behaviours, actions, anything, um, including that I can I can raise these with the police commissioner if I feel the need. So I did. I gave him a substantial report of concern and outlined all of my reasons why I felt the way I did and provided um, some information and asked him to go away and, and have a bit more of a look at it. And I also asked them to refer my concerns to the Serious Fraud Office um, if they weren't prepared to conduct an investigation themselves. Um, that was a very brave thing to do, given that you're in the body of the police and normally one doesn't question one's superiors in, in the police or defence. Was it very hard to take that step, Dan? No, it wasn't, funny enough, uh, because I was so confident something was wrong. And I could see it, and I could see it within my own community that I worked in, um, that the actual harm that was coming from the restrictions and people's businesses, um, as I say, their mental health uh, was terrible. So, And I didn't see any justification at that point for us to be behaving the way we were under the COVID Health Response Act. So it, it wasn't a hard thing. I mean, you know, I, I sort of thought, because when I finished the report, at the bottom of it, I, I'd said to the commissioner, um, I also am not prepared to 
carry out any duties that are required under the COVID Health Response Act. However, I was more than happy to complete the rest of my duties to the best of my ability uh, because I believe that we've taken an oath uh, that serves the best interests of the people. So after having given, submitted this report, I thought, okay, this is probably it for me in the police. Uh, but I was quite happy to have done that because I felt like I was honouring that oath. Uh, so a short time after that report was sent to the commissioner, I was visited by an inspector on behalf of the commissioner who'd come to, I guess you'd say, see who I was and suss me out. Uh, so we had a conversation at my police station where I'd worked. And in that conversation, I was told that the police don't investigate the government. And if the government had done something wrong, then afterwards that would be, uh, you know, that would be discovered and those responsible would be brought to account, which really didn't sit very well with me because who are the government, you know? But that's incredible. And and by whom would they be brought to account if not by the police putting a criminal a complaint good, in? A very good question. Uh, you know, the, the government comprise people um, just like us, and they're all, we're all vulnerable at times. We make bad decisions or we make mistakes. None of us can say we're perfect in that respect. Uh, you know, however, if you've made a mistake and it's brought to your attention, and you continue to do something that is harmful to others, then you are still subject to the law and the consequences of breaking the law in those circumstances. Um, you know, people in Parliament, as I say, you know, they could they could be corrupted. I'm not saying that everybody's corrupted. I'm far from it. But just as anybody else could be corrupted, bribed, um, or even have a, a belief system that gives them a a potential bias, which ends up being harmful. So I, I couldn't accept that. Um, but I was told that that was the end of uh, the police's involvement in my concerns, uh, but I was welcome to continue carrying out my own inquiries in my own time. Um, Dan, was it a sort of patronising tone in a way? It was like, you know, you're on the wrong track. We don't, uh, We don't endorse it. Uh, the commissioner will not be replying to your letter, but you know you can indulge yourself. But there's nothing to see here. It was at that kind of tone. It, it pretty much felt like I'd caused created a problem for them, so I, I had a visit. I'd, I'd been told it wasn't a it was a quite you know perfectly civil conversation. I just took exception with what was said because uh, I don't agree with that. But it was almost like. And then I was told that um, the inspector would go away and formulate a response on behalf of the commissioner, uh, and that would be put through the commissioner's office for approval before being sent out to me. And and I was told it would be a, a fairly bland uh, response, which actually arrived. And it basically sort of said, well, yes, thank you for your concerns, but we won't be investigating any further, et cetera, et cetera, which was quite frustrating. Did it say in that letter, we do not, we at the New Zealand police, do not investigate the government? But No, funnily enough, no. Nothing in writing? No, no. It was a very, very bland response, which I've been told it would be. So, 
There yeah. you go. Not prepared to put that in writing. Had you had much to do with Andrew Costa, the Commissioner for Police, before before the COVID rollout, Dan? Had you met him? No, I hadn't, no. Did you know it much was... about him or, or what was your impression of him as a, as a working officer? I didn't have any knowledge of him at all. He's uh, When he got the job, a lot of my colleagues and myself didn't really know much about him or where he'd come from. He just seemed to become the next commissioner. Uh, it was a bit of a surprise to a lot of us. And his, his I, I don't know what you'd call it, I guess his statement or his, his line was, be first, then do. And a lot of us have never been able to work out what he's actually meant by that. Um, so I, d- I don't really know. I mean, it's sort of a confusing. For me, I get from that, be first, then do. Is that Does that mean be first to stand up and then do something? Because that's how I feel. Um, <laughs> you know, that's I my says- interpretation. <laughs> I suspect that is not his interpretation, but it says a lot about you that that's yours. Gosh, you know, in the, in a month of having whistleblowers, really, you have similar qualities to the fine qualities I've seen in Barry, the the courage and the moral code that's incorruptible to stand up and tell the truth. I really appreciate what you're saying here, Dan. Did you realise that he was on some salary equating, from what I can see, to seven? Hundred thousand a year. Yes, yes. Uh, I wasn't initially, but um, it, ca- it was. It came to my attention through articles in the media, actually, who have reported on it a few times that he's on that. That that's his money, um, which to me is quite concerning, because I also have concern about the way that the police commissioner is appointed, and as far as the prime minister of the time makes a recommendation to the Governor General. Uh, so that, that that recommendation is quite powerful um, because when you also then look at how the Governor General is appointed, uh, the Governor General is appointed on a recommendation from the Prime Minister to our Sovereign. So these, these people in these positions are at the approval of the Prime Minister. Mm. Um, which to me seems like quite a conflict of interest because, for example, the police commissioner is on a very, very high salary uh, and it feels like a political appointment to some degree, which doesn't sit comfortably with me and it also doesn't sit well with the Policing Act 2008 under the police's, the police commissioner has an obligation to remain independent from any minister of the Crown uh, in investigating crime. So, you know, I feel like the person that's put in at the top of the police is hindered from being able to act freely and independently of political pressure. It's a very important point. And combine that with that level of annual salary for a bureaucrat. You know, we have never, ever countenanced this before this recent period that bureaucrats would be on almost million dollar salaries. This this is this is so uh, opening them to being corrupted by money. And whether or not it is the case here, it, the optics of it are terrible. 
So let's move back to what else you had in your letter. I just really want to understand at a deeper level what you had spelt out to the commissioner, which, as you said now, was going to be ignored. What else was it you'd wanted, Dan? So I wanted them to stop because there was a lot of uh, promotion through the mainstream media at the time uh, about vaccination, um, you know, and, you know, safe and effective and things like this, which to me was quite wrong because there wasn't any real discussion about the fact that this uh, product that was being called a vaccination was ex was experimental, had never been rolled out on a mass scale on the human population before and carried many risks with it as well uh, and, and a lot of unknown quantities or risks. So when you look at it from that perspective, all of a sudden, everybody that's been told that, you know, this is what we're going to get to get everyone back to normal, have your life, have your summer, um, go to party. But to do that, you had to participate in an experiment. And I don't believe in a, a medical experiment. And I don't believe that the majority of people um, had it clearly and fully explained to them what they would be doing by participating. Um, so that, that really concerned me after the research that I've, I've done and found that it wasn't actually really a vaccine, it was a gene therapy, um, you know, and that we'd come to this point through the use of a PCR test that was run at very high cycle rates. Uh, and what the PCR tests have been calibrated off were was a sequence that was not from the virus. It was it was um, a, a computer generated sequence. So there were just so many issues, and I felt we're not being fully transparent with people, our government. And and initially, I thought, and I actually said to the commissioner, I said, you know, that the people doing this may have the the best intentions of the people of New Zealand at heart, um, and perhaps. They just are genuinely making mistakes because I wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt because I, I, I like to try and do that. Um, but the further I went into it, the more I realised uh, it was actually bordering on criminal. If we didn't stop doing what we were doing and putting out fraudulent messages to the public and pressurising the public to conform, um, then there were issues around you know, uh, fraudulent activity being committed by the people that we're trusting. And, you know, so I, I sort of, I gave them examples of how how it was a problem, and as I say, referring to the PCR tests um, to create case numbers when we didn't actually have people that were sick um, and taking away people's freedoms in order to get compliance um, to achieve their objective, which was mass vaccination of our population, and giving us no other options, it just it, it all felt completely wrong, and and you know, and then to create legislation on top of that to facilitate these events occurring um, and punishing, giving a mechanism of punishment to anybody who didn't want to comply, um, you know, it's completely wrong. And then on top of that, here you are in the very body that is involving the enforcers of that mechanism of punishment. 
that's where it leads to. So many police, I hope, who are watching this discussion may start to look back and and wonder at their own willingness to enforce things that were clearly not fully researched, fully right, fully cleared. As you said, even the PCR test, they've never uh, isolated a sample of actual COVID for that. These are these are really important information bites that you're offering here, Dan. On top of that, were you seeing in your community just great suffering? You alluded to that before. Yes. Uh, you know, I spoke to business owners who weren't, weren't allowed to open or operate, um, and some of them were on the brink of collapse. And I, I know that a lot of businesses failed all, all across New Zealand during that time. And some of them said to me that, you know, um, we can't keep closed. And if it continues for too long, then we'll be we'll be putting our doors open and we'll be and if you know, and this is really sad because some of them have said, you know, if the police try and shut us down, um, let them try. You know, and that was really hard to hear because why would we do this to people that we're meant to be looking after? Um, and it wasn't only that, it was, you know, talking to people in the community, uh, drug use was up, uh, mental health jobs are up. Um, you know, there's a very high rate of attempted suicide and suicide in this country already. And I saw families um, that were struggling, you know, not being able to go to work. They're stuck at home, and some of them were stuck in, in abusive relationships in homes where they couldn't get away from these people. Uh, you know, and norm normally while they lived in those relationships, they had opportunity to get out of the house and be away from the, the abusive person. Um, so, you know, I saw a whole lot of these things occurring. And I just felt this was all doing more harm than the protective measures that we were supposedly enforcing. You articulate that so well. Were you seeing in your own experience more suicides, Dan? Attempts, mm. yeah. I mean, we we attend quite a few suicides. I mean, they're not publicised uh, heavily. Personally, I think they should be um, to bring the awareness up of just how bad it is. Mm. Um, you know, we, we worry about the road toll, um, you know, and that's a justification for writing more tickets. And, uh, you know, don't get me wrong, um, sometimes a fine does help correct behaviour. But, you know, we've got much bigger problems going on in our communities, honestly. Uh, you know, and I, I know that's probably can be debated and disagreed with. Um, and I've been to plenty of terrible car crashes. But I've also been to plenty of suicides um, and spent a lot of the last few years in, in the police uh, taking the people to hospital for mental health, um, attending missing people jobs, um, attempted suicide jobs. It's a big part of policing now as is family harm and they're all interrelated. And along with that comes uh, substance abuse. And, you know, and you can understand, I can understand why people resort to these things when they feel there's no hope and their lives are so difficult. It's absolutely heartbreaking, but it's so important, as you say, to talk about it. What, what do you think, on an aside, what would it do if we did talk more about suicide rates openly? Because the argument against it in the media and my training was if we talk about it in the mainstream media, uh, that would encourage others to do it. I never quite followed that argument. 
Um, there's, there, yeah, it's interesting because, uh, and you know, I'm not a trained psychologist. I'm not. I, I don't have any medical background, but I've I've got experience of over 19 years frontline policing, and for me, there's a couple of different types of people. Um, there there are people who will just go. There'll be no prior warning. And they'll go and do something that um, is tragically sad and, and brings an end to their life. Um, there are a lot of people who will call out for help, um, and that may be through behaviours, uh, leaving notes, um, making threats, disappearing for a few days. And those people, you know, there's there's a chance to help those people and save them. Um, you know, unfortunately, our the mental health system so overwhelmed, and you know, as is, are a lot of our systems now, um, that those poor people working in those in those industries are, are overwhelmed, uh, you know. And so, what I noticed over the last few years was that a lot of the responsibility fell onto police officers to look after and deal with these people, and uh, you know, we're not trained. To be doing that, and yet we, it was a de facto part of our job to counsel people um, and basically look after them. Uh, you know, so it's a major problem. And here we are. You're describing all of these things getting worse with all of this ramping up of pressure from the government to obey, do what we tell you. We're the one source of truth. You're doubting it, and you've been given basically a fob off by your commissioner or his lackey. What did you do then, Dan? What was your next step? Okay, so I, I continued with my policing duties and I thought, okay, this is interesting. Uh, I wouldn't wear a mask because, you know, that's part of, I completely disagreed and there was an exemption for us to do that. So I used that. Um, and in August that year, I sent another email to the commissioner. Um, at, at this time, I sent it, um, not as a police officer, I sent it as, a, as an individual, and I also sent it to all the members of parliament at the time, um, because this was around the time that it had been discovered that there were con uh, harmful contaminants had been discovered within uh, some of the, vaccina uh, the vaccines or jabs. Uh, Is this August 2021 we're talking now? Yeah. Yep. Yes. By the way, were you seeing all your fellow police officers taking the jab? No, well, you know... <laughs> A lot, a lot were very apprehensive and mm. had serious doubts and concerns about something being rushed out like it had been, uh, with no long-term testing and you know no real safety profile. So a lot of police were were sceptical um, and dubious. Uh, there were definitely uh, police that were were calling out for the for the jab because they were concerned, worried, afraid of getting COVID. Uh, although generally the police are a very healthy demographic um, because we have to, every two years we have to pass a fitness test. So you have to keep in a reasonable, um, you know, state of health. But a lot of, uh, yeah, as I say, a lot, a lot were not very comfortable at all about getting a vaccine, uh, including myself, which, which showed through when uh, the mandates came because at the start of the mandates for police, uh, 1,200 police said they would not be getting it. Mm. Um, but obviously that changed over time as the pressures bore down on us. Um, 
but it indicated to me that there was a healthy number of police who had serious concerns. There are about 13,000, I think, in our New Zealand police around that number. Yeah. So yeah. many still so. willing to comply, but that's interesting. So yeah. so just back to um, what you decided to do when you realised there were contaminants or evidence, growing evidence, of some contaminants in the shot. So I sent uh, a, a detailed lengthy email to our members of parliament and the police commissioner, Andrew Costa, again, uh, highlighting these concerns, providing um, details of where they could see this information and have a look at it. Uh, and I didn't get a single response. Uh, wow. And that was as, as, as you, the individual, no reply, nothing from the commissioner. Nothing. How did you feel then? This is twice a fob off. Oh, hugely frustrated. I felt that I'd already felt let down by the highest levels of police not being prepared to even properly consider my concerns at such an early point in time where it could have made a, a, a huge difference. Um, you know, I was only doing it because I cared, you know, and you, you do get some criticism uh, if you go against the tide. You know, and you get called a conspiracy theorist and put on your tinfoil hat and all of this. And, and, you know, there was plenty of that even within the police um, from a certain element. But we were, we were failing in our duty, you know, um, which has, has been proven now by the amount of injury that's been uh, recorded in this country. And, and so I felt hugely frustrated that it was falling on deaf ears. You know, who do we go to? If the police won't help or they won't take an interest, what's left for us? A media. It used to be the media, but they have fallen as well. It used to be the judiciary, and there are question marks there. So that's that's what you said we're failing in our duty. What is the duty in which you're failing to you? What's the duty, the ultimate duty of our police? For me, it's to put the people of New Zealand first above any, yes. anything else, their safety and well-being. Um, we're not medical experts, so we shouldn't be enforcing mask mandates on people. Um, you know, that's not our role. We're not policy enforcers. We're not. Unfortunately, that's what we've become. I believe uh, we're, we're government policy enforcers instead of. Uh, so we work, and it's interesting because, again, when you speak to some people within the police, including uh, supervisors, if you ask them the question, "Who do we work for?" they say the government, and. It's so far removed from where we should be. Um, we're the safeguard for the people. If the government veers off its path, then the police should be there to stop any harm coming to the people as a consequence of that. But we seem in line with government and government policy um, and government processes, and we're not questioning. Why aren't we questioning um, when? We see wrong, and we see legislation being brought through by the government. The police commissioner is meant to act independently from the ministers of the Crown. So if someone comes to him and says, I believe this is unlawful, and here's my reasons why, why is he not looking at it? And not even replying, not even giving you reasons about why he's not looking at it. It's, it's very dark. 
It's very dark. It's like all the pillars of safety falling. And let's put it against two things, Dan. All politicians are simply human beings, and human beings, all human beings, can be subject to corruption. So we must have other institutions that keep an eye on our politicians. And then secondly, none of this would be able to be enforced by politicians without police going along with it. So if the police were to stand up to the politicians, their wrongful policies would collapse immediately. So the police are essential. Yeah, they'd be gone. Okay, so you're left with now another fob-off. What did you do then after August 2021? Okay, so I had, around that time, uh, we had our next level four lockdown, at which point, you know, the police commissioner gave a directive to all police staff that they would be masked for the entirety of their, their shifts at work in police buildings, in public. Even if you're driving a, in a patrol car on your own, you'd be masked, which was completely ludicrous. Yeah. Um, and it was obviously just gain the, gain the conformity of the people, uh, make them do what they're told. And so, again, I said, well, I'm happy to come to work, do my frontline duties, but I won't be wearing a mask. So I got sent, sent home. Um, and then told that, you know, legal advice would be sought and employment relations advice because I disobeyed a directive from the police commissioner. Um, you know, so that was fine. I said to them, and funnily enough, I said, can you put all of this in writing, please? Um, as usual, no, nothing was put in writing, um, exactly what they were requiring from me. Uh, I directed the police commissioner back to the COVID Health Response Act uh, because he clearly didn't have a, a good understanding of the act um, in order for him to have made that that order to all police staff, um, not allowing for any exemption. So I, I highlighted the appropriate sections of the act um, where it actually showed that as well as all of us being able to be exempt, if, if we determined that we were exempt without having to show a pass or a card or, or give an explanation even, um, it also applied to all agents of the government, including the police and ministers of parliament, that, and it went a bit further, that we were all exempt from any of the COVID uh, alert level restrictions in the, while we were executing our duties, uh, which, you know, was quite interesting. And yet we've got a police commissioner writing over the top of the legislation and saying what he wanted. Um, so after that, obviously gone away and looked at this, uh, I was told it was a misunderstanding and but I couldn't come back to work because I was a danger to the people around me uh, by not having a mask on all the time. So I ended up working from home until we were mandated. So wait a minute, what did they point. mean a misunderstanding, Dan? What did they mean by that? Uh, Your misunderstanding or the commissioners? No, on their behalf. And they tried to explain it away as that they were unaware that I had a mask exemption, uh, which I'd been... In, had, had in use for months prior to this occurring. Um, it was more about they were trying to pressurise or push me into doing what I was told Yes. or make me feel as if I'd be down the road if I didn't. Um, were you afraid of that? Time. So many Kiwis submitted to coercion because they were afraid of losing their jobs. But both with Barry, who was the data database analyst who's um, put out the data, and it seems with you, Dan, you don't seem to fear losing your jobs, and that's given you both a certain freedom. Yeah, I mean, 
I, I met some very brave people in the police during that time, um, and I'll, I'll explain that in a minute. But I'd lost my fear by that point because I now knew that what was occurring was creating harm. Mm. Um, you know, and we've all got family and friends, and we care about people. And this is why part of why I won't back down is because I care about people. I can be accused of whatever people want to call or say about me. Um, and I think Barry's probably a similar type of a person, you know. Yeah, okay, um, he can be criticised because of what he did. But let's look at why he did it. And um, when you've exhausted all other options, um, nobody's prepared to listen, and, and you know people have been hurt, and some of them seriously, or even worse. What are you as an individual going to do about it? Uh, and, th- and that's where I got to by that point. Uh, I felt like people have to stand up, make a stand, push back, question authority, because if we don't, um, we become a totalitarian society where we have no say, and that's where we're heading. Um, so, you know, at that point in time, I, I'd already ditched a lot of that fear. I mean, it had a huge consequence on my family um, and my home life and for my wife and, you know, um, and it cost us friends, <laughs> as as it did for many people who stood up. Um, and but it's worth it because, you know, if we don't say something, who will? When the people that we rely on to help us choose not to, and it, they chose not to, um, and they chose not to honour their oaths, and they chose not to um, remain impartial from the. And I'm talking about the commissioner here. He chose not to remain impartial from the government or its ministers. Um, by refusing to even acknowledge the concerns that I was raising. Um, So at that point, as I say, I mean, you know, I felt whatever's going to happen is going to happen, but I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to be bullied by these people. Um, And I'm not going to be pushed around. I've lost that fear. The fear was gone. Um, And I just, in my heart, I knew that if you're doing your best to do the right thing, things will work out for you. Uh, You know, and it's not all about money or, um, you know, but I, on the other side of that, I fully understand why so many people had no option and saw no option. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with children, families, mortgages, homes. Um, you know, how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to put food on the table and feed my family? So I completely get that. These people were victims of an abusive government at the end of the day. Um, and just briefly, uh, you know, a colleague of mine. Um, who showed the ultimate in bravery, as far as I'm concerned, uh, refused as well to get the jabs, um, as did his wife, who was a nurse. Um, And they had two young children, and they'd taken on a huge mortgage, and despite that, they they held their ground. Um, You know, sorry, it, it, it just shows, you know, um, they would rather live on the street than put their children in harm's way. Wow. And, you know, um, yeah, it's just, it's inspirational, you know. Um, and he doesn't talk about it. And, you know, but there are, there are people like that in the job. Excuse me, I'm just like, it really gets to me, you know. Um, We've got some amazing people still in the police who went back after being mandated. I don't know how they did it because I couldn't. 
I just couldn't work for that that police commissioner anymore. Um, the system's broken. Uh, you know, until until the commissioner's gone, there's no way that we can have a proper investigation inquiry into what's gone on. We can't we can't identify the criminality uh, successfully uh, because I believe that some of the actions of our leaders, including at the top of our police, have contributed to the harms uh, and through their negligence um, may in fact even be criminally liable. And I'm putting that out there. Elaborate on that. Elaborate on that claim. Okay, so, you know, in March 21, I took my concerns to the Commission, they were genuine. Um, and it wasn't an insignificant matter I was raising with him. You know, this this was something that was going to affect the entire population of our country uh, and the, the repercussions had potential to be massive as far as injury, you know, set aside the fraudulent activity of the media and the government, um, police's lack of appetite to look at the concerns seriously and consider everything that was being raised um, to me is negligent. And uh, as I said before, you know, there's many good police, uh, many good people in the police. But when you have a leader like that, um, you know, where does that leave us? So looking back now, um, if you look at, you know, CAMS um, injury reporting site for vaccine injury, over 60,000 New Zealanders reported injuries, um, you know, and some of them would be insignificant, I'm sure, but still worthy of being reported. And But they go all the way through serious life-changing events for people. Uh, up to people losing their lives. And we had an opportunity to do something about this before we got to this point. And, you know, here we are. Um, but, I, you know, it, I hadn't stopped at that point back in August um, as far as raising my concerns. So uh, Feb in February, um, I went to the area commander Northland Police, and I took a complaint filed to him because I've been trying, you know, trying to raise the alarm, trying to get someone to look at it within police. Um, so I thought I'll try, I'll try Northland because I worked in the Waitemata district. And by that point, I'd already, um, I'd already had words with the area, uh, the district commander for Waitemata, and I, and I'd said to her, you know, I, she asked me what I wanted from the police, and I said, I want an investigation, I want someone to look at what's happened. Um, and, you know, it, it just didn't get anywhere, you know, and this was around November time uh, when I was I was then speaking to the, the district commander for Waitemata. This was November 21, 21. Yes. Yeah. 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 And what would they do, Dan? Would they, was it just sort of blanking you? Was it just a blank look or um, a shrug or a, oh, well, well you know, that's how it, it is? It's quite concerning. I mean, you know, <laughs> at this at this time, um, I hadn't been allowed back into my workspace at work because I was working from home for the police then, um, even though they backed down on uh, their threat. Like you could call them threats, I suppose, um, because I wouldn't put a mask on. So I was working from home for the police. Um, I had a meeting with the district commander at the North Shore Policing Centre. 
um, about a number of concerns, including the behaviours of a certain element of police at the time uh, who were quite hostile towards anybody, even within the police, who would not comply with the, the jab mandate at that point. Um, so I had discussions about some of these things because I, myself and others that I knew were personally affected. Um, and in that meeting with uh, the superintendent, she asked me, what did I want from the police? And as I say, I said, you know, I actually want, um, we, we now have, in November, we had mandated staff, which included very skilled people, uh, detectives, um, people of rank who had chosen to say no, um, people like myself, you know, frontline police officers, um, people with interviewing skills. And I said, I'd like for you to set up a task force using mandated staff so that we're not putting any further drain on the police resources to look, start looking at some of the concerns that we have around Great. the safety of the jam. Um, Great um, idea. No, I was like, she asked me, so I told her, um, but that was not entertained. Um, and the response I got was that at that time that the superintendent had full confidence in the government and their COVID rollout and was also fully supportive of the police commissioner um, and the police's efforts to facilitate this. It so was complete, just it was just stonewalling, stonewalling yeah, was, everywhere. Yeah, across yeah, New Zealand. Yeah, and when I was when I was in the meeting with uh, the superintendent, I said to her, "Look out the window, and is this the New Zealand you want? You know, um, we've got people that because when I turned up actually to the meeting, uh, I hadn't had, had a haircut for quite a while because I wasn't allowed to go to get my haircut." Um, and one of the first things she said when I walked in the room was, oh, you could do with a haircut. And I couldn't help but laugh and said, yeah, I know I can, but I'm not allowed. Um, and I said, are you comfortable with this? New Zealand looking like this, where we're segregating people on their beliefs. Um, you know, is this a New Zealand that you're, you're comfortable with? And she said, I have no opinion on it. Um, while sitting there telling me she has full confidence in the government and their plan, and the police commissioner's um, facilitating of that happening. So, you know, that, that's what we were up against. Um, very difficult to deal with. The willingness of certain New Zealanders to look away from overt evil, to look the other way. Yeah. yeah. And be comfortable with a segregated society in a supposedly free country. Yeah. And all the oppressions that come with that. And to be right in the heart of the enforcement of that. That's really concerning. Because in that conversation, one has to say, well, where is your moral code? Where's your own moral compass of what's right and wrong? As I can tell you where, where that, that lied because, you know, prior to my leaving the police in June 2022, um, I had a couple of meetings with um, the, the superintendent for my district. Um, and in, in those meetings... Myself and a few other mandated police, actually, at that point, who looked like we would be gone, um, the superintendent said to me and others that um, if she wasn't so high-ranking in the police, she would have stood beside us opposing the mandates, um, which oh. kind of floored me. <laughs> you know, to, to have the front to say that after the fact, when we were looked like we were we were gone. Um, 
That is that is just staggering because you would think she ra- she got up to those levels on the basis of excellent performance, excellent integrity, excellent intelligence. But that that comment belies all of that. That's someone willing yeah. to compromise her way up the system. That's heartbreaking. That's not leadership. And I, I can't criticise um, on how she got to her rank. I'm sure she worked very hard for it, but ultimately wasn't prepared to sacrifice it for doing the mm. right thing. Mm. That's it. Gosh, I mean, Dan, so, so now we're around February 2022. What did you think of the whole Freedom Village in front of Parliament? Yeah, I thought, wow, you know, amazing. I was so happy for it because um, I knew people there. I knew police people who were there. I knew medical people who were there. Decent and normal, good business people, um, people from all walks of life, actually, who were mm. genuine good Zealanders, you know, who had not been heard. Um, Lots so of middle-class teachers and and yep. uh, nurses, mothers and fathers. Yeah, mm. um, a real cross section of New Zealand, um, you know, and people that probably couldn't afford to to get there, but still made it there um, for their families, you know, um, and they're demonised, you know, and and a point that I I just make is, um, you know, if the police commissioner, way back in March of 2021 had taken the time to seriously look at the concerns that I raised, and not just me, because, um, you know, many people within New Zealand were raising the alarm and trying to be heard and have their concerns listened to, um, you know, and we, the people that were meant to protect us and look after us chose not to. Uh, so where did, would, would Wellington have occurred, uh, the convoy, the freedom, whole scenario, would they have it, had to have occurred or even, uh, you know, even Barry? Now having to do what he's had to do, because he believes in what he's doing, would any of this had to have happened if the police had done their job all that time ago? No, I don't think it would have, because if they were acting with integrity and without bias, they would have identified problems with what was going on, mm. and either corrected or put a halt to it or change course. Um, you know, but no, and this is what happens when people are ignored and they're good people trying to do the right thing and the people that are meant to represent them in doing that, the police, have failed. So they, they've taken it into their own um, to do the right thing and try and help prevent harm to other people. Mm. And beyond that, Dan, there's such a salutary thought for the commissioner had he listened to your letter, your first letter, and your concerns? Can you imagine how many potential saved Kiwi lives there might now be? How many Kiwis would not have died or would not be in wheelchairs or would not be suffering myocarditis, um, raging cancers that are going through, turbo cancers? How many Kiwis could have been saved if that one man had listened to another man, you? Well, you know, he didn't even have the decency to re- respond to me directly, sent someone else to talk to me. Mm. Uh, and I called him out directly under the police code of conduct. So what does that say? 
And I called out Andrew Costa um, visually online. We put up photographs of him, King's College old boy. My father was at King's. Um, just a, a, to me, a shameful old boy of King's College. I called him out after February when I was interviewing, for example, a young 21-year-old who was simply sitting on the ground cross-legged, meditating for peace. She was visualizing in her head peace, and she was dragged by those officers who betrayed the New Zealand people. I know there were some on the first day, I think it was February the 10th, who did have tears in their eyes when I was talking to them, Dan. I saw there were good good police officers who were terribly conflicted by being called out to do that to the New Zealand people. But on the second yeah. day in early March, that was another level. And we think, or I have been told, some of them may have been Serco officers from Australia. Have you heard that? Yeah, I have heard that. Um, and I've also heard that a similar situation occurred in Australia, in uh, Victoria, actually, where, yeah, people can be brought into the country, and I believe, I, I don't know, I, I don't want to say too much because I don't know enough about it to mm. be completely accurate, but I believe... In, a, in states of emergency, um, government can call on overseas people to come into a country to facilitate. And I kind of wonder if something similar has happened because how could anybody within the New Zealand police um, behave that way towards peaceful people? I mean, you know, I know that there was problems at the end, but there, again, you know, the people... All the people that I know that went there went there for peaceful reasons. There, there was no intention to, to cause violence at all. Um, no. You know, and the morning that the commissioner gave the order for those police to line up um, and march through that, that village and destroy it, I was gutted because, as you say, I know there were a lot of good cops here. Um, there was an element that relished, relished it, actually, I believe. Um, he couldn't wait to get down there and get amongst it. Um, and those people shouldn't even be in the police. No. But there are a lot, a lot of good people there who were tormented uh, mentally, I believe, by what they were been told to do. And I felt so disappointed that they didn't just walk away and refuse to carry out the orders. Yes. Um, because what's going to happen if you if they all did it, what are they going to do? You know, it's the same old story. Um You've got to stand up sometimes, and when you know you're doing something that's wrong, you need to actually try and be brave enough to say, I'm not doing it. This is the call out to the police. The more and more of you who wake up to the fact that this has been a crime perpetrated on the New Zealand people that's resulted in many, many deaths, the more of you who stand up and walk out and simply say to the, if this bunch of new politicians is as corrupt as the last we won't oppress the people of New Zealand, then this whole thing finishes, Dan, doesn't it? It's over when the police, Absolutely. the enforcers will come. Yeah. It's that easy. Um, you know, and it's and actually um, none of us should be complying with these measures. And there's lots of different ways to do that. It's not, I'm not talking about violence because I'm not, I don't condone violence. Violence brings violence at the end of the day. Um, but we don't have to um, support organizations um that you know support these type of tactics um we can peacefully demonstrate still at, at you know for now um 
we don't have to we don't have to accept mask mandates. Um, and if heaven forbid another pandemic comes, which I have no doubt will probably be building as we speak, um, we have to learn to not comply and say we're not having this again. We're not having our families destroyed. We're not having our businesses ruined. Um, we'll take responsibility for our own health. Um, yes, you know, to, to a certain degree. Um, we don't need to be forced into getting jabs uh, that we don't want with who knows what in them. It's up to all of us. And prior to Barry coming out and now you, the more whistleblowers we have, the less chance there is of another pandemic treaty from the World Health Organization being enforced here. However, let's get back to your journey. So February disgusted you. At what point did you actually decide to walk out of the police altogether? even though you were well, working at home? At this later stage, I've been allowed back to the station. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it was quite weird. I wasn't allowed, to, even at that point, I wasn't allowed to face the public. Um, and initially I was asked to stay in a certain part of the station for the safety of everybody because some people were still terribly afraid, um, even though they'd been jabbed, you know, which was kind of quite bizarre. But there you go. Um but anyway, it relaxed and things were okay, um, you know, because I, I try not to hold grudges with anybody. Um, it's not, it doesn't help. So, I, I and then, um, you know, so I've been back to work for a short time after November and then, you know, early January or mid-January, we would we had to hand out our identification badges back in and um, leave the premises type deal, which is really, really unpleasant. Um, way to have to leave the police. Um, so that that was all fine. Hand your ID back. What do you mean? You you were um, given the push. Uh, yeah, after the date um, that we were given to either comply or our employment would be terminated. Oh, gosh. So you know. Um, so that we we did that, and meanwhile we obviously had the judicial review underway, mm. which ended up being successful. But at that point, I then was working on a complaint, uh, another complaint, this time, as I said a little bit earlier, to the Northland Area Commander. Um, so I thought, I'll try a different district. And so, and at that time, um, also Dr. Matt Shelton from NZ Doctors Speaking Up Science, they're a fantastic group of people who are just trying to protect people as well and do the right thing. They right. really are. Doc, Dr. Tessa, Dr. Tracy, Dr. Allison, there, there are so many wonderful ones in there. Mm. Phenomenal people. Cindy, yeah. yeah, phenomenal. And very, you know, brave people prepared to to give it all up and risk everything Yeah, to do the right thing. Um, you know, so at that time I put compiled another complaint to take to the police um, about the fraudulent activity um, and the injuries that were occurring. Um, as a result of the jab, you know, because um, we got to the point of, you know, serious serious injuries now, um, and a lot of them. And, but, and also with that complaint, I took from Dr. Matt Shelton had prepared an affidavit um, based on findings that he'd he'd seen um, of harmful contaminants within the within the jab, or concerning, I guess you'd say, very concerning. Um, contaminants or things that weren't supposed to be in the jabs. Um, and this was from samples of uh, New Zealand's Pfizer doses. Okay, mm -hmm. So it was very relevant to, to New Zealand. 
Um, so I took the complaint up to the area commander for Northland at the time. I'll just uh, stop you there and refer if people are wondering. It's graphene oxide, which Matt Shelton is willing to talk about, but really that's a whole area that has yet to be explored and exposed in the world discussion. We'll just leave that there, but that is that is one of them, yeah. So then you took uh, this complaint? Yes, and had a meeting with the area commander for Northland, uh, with a few other people actually, uh, who were also trying to raise awareness of uh, somebody who had been injured by the vaccine, or jab, as I don't like calling it a vaccine. Um, yes, neither do I. No. Um, so those people's concerns were dismissed quite quickly. Um, and anyhow, so I pre presented my uh, complaints to the inspector and then we left after quite a lengthy meeting. And again, it wasn't hostile or anything like that. Um, you know, it's quite a civil conversation. Um, and after we'd gone away, I chased them up for a little while to get a police file number, which I got. Uh, and then I got a letter saying that they, uh, they wouldn't be investigating my complaint any further uh, because it wouldn't pass the public scrutiny test and wasn't in line with the Solicitor General's uh, guidelines. Um, I mean, at this point, I was only asking for the investigation to be furthered on my complaint <clears throat> with a view to potential prosecution at the end of it. Um, wow. But a big part of why we made the complaint was we had, you know, a, a sworn affidavit from a medical professional um, outlining his observations. He was prepared to commit to an affidavit on that. Uh, which means he'd be willing to attest to that in court, which means he would be willing absolutely. to offer evidence. That is crucial. Yes. Um, and they simply said it It didn't amount to anything well, yet again. It was, it was disregarded. I mean, you know... I, our intention was we wanted the police to take this on so that they could start looking at uh, obtaining some of these Pfizer samples and actually getting them analysed mm. um, to determine. And, you know, that, that that's where the investigation, we wanted it to head initially, was um, identify whether or not it's correct, um, you know, and, and potentially it may have had to be done by not only ESR but an independent um, or witnessed by independent. Because by this point, um, my trust in the police doing things correctly or the right way was completely gone. Surely normally the police look at the offerings of evidence, spend some time delving into it. As you say, examine the samples, look at it under microscopes, get an unopened vial of a Pfizer jab, look at it, and then decide. So this seems very odd, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from my, my perspective, and I, you know, again, I may be criticised for saying it, but I believe on the information that we provided and the testimony of Dr Shelton, um, I believe we were very much on the grounds or on the way towards being able to obtain search warrant to obtain uh, vials of the Pfizer vaccine if they would, would not be voluntarily um, provided, mm. uh, you know, because... At this point, we had thousands of people um, who had reported adverse reactions to the to the jab, and yet it was still being allowed to continue. Again, we had an opportunity that was dismissed uh, quite easily. So it wasn't until quite a long time afterwards that I 
and I've been thinking about it for quite a while. I did an official information act request uh, to the police for all the communications had on my complaint by the area commander and the detective senior sergeant who was given the complaint to look at. And it was actually just quite sad um, that there was a, a theme running through the, the communications of um, a police officer who was anti-vax, um, who had provided information to the police that suited his anti-vax narrative. Um, and, you know, had ignored um, credible differing information, I suppose you'd say. I, I can't give the exact words off the top of my head. Wow. Um, but it had been dressed up to come across as some guy who'd lost his job in the police um, and was an anti-vaxxer and was now trying to cause problems um, by bringing this complaint. And yet the detective senior sergeant also acknowledged in his communications with the area commander that he hadn't looked at most of the information I'd provided because there was too much. Uh, you know, <laughs> So where does that leave us? Um, and if he had of, he would have discovered that a lot of the information that I'd provided was taken from the World Health Organization um, and their uh, vaccine injury reporting site. Um, I had uh, reports from the Lancet Medical Journal, um, and it just went on, you know, from the University of Otago um, on their PCR testing and the cycle rates they were using. I mean, there was, there was just a huge amount of information because there is a lot out there if you want to look for it. Um, and it was and it was coming from the agencies and organisations um, who are supposedly doing the right thing, but it wasn't wasn't favourable to them, I suppose. Um, so it got dismissed. That's yeah. extraordinary. And Dan, I I should declare here that I I've known you for a few years now, and I worked with you briefly on um, some investigation with some overseas people on the potential of the Mandazalan murders in the UK. But my impression of you and what I know of you is this, you are fastidiously thorough and very balanced. You, you're not driven by uh, emotion. You you feel things very deeply, but you are driven by very thorough research in what you say and what you do. Do you, do you think that's a fair summation of you, my summation? Yeah, yeah I think so. Um, you know, and I, I am getting a bit emotional about it because it's so frustrating and it and it's it's been so harmful and it, it didn't need to happen. Mm. Um, you know, and and honestly, before COVID came along, um, if you'd asked me about vaccination, I was neither here nor there on it. I, I wasn't a particularly a, a mad fan on vaccines, um, but I, I wasn't and, and this is a, an important point too. Um, we're not talking about a vaccine. Mm. We're talking about a gene therapy, an experimental gene therapy treatment. Um, with unknown consequence, which some of those consequences are now becoming known. Um, and we're still only a very short time into um, what we know and we'll learn about the consequences of these um, treatments. Absolutely. So, yeah. And and there were areas where there was a dearth, a complete lack of any research as far as I could see. I couldn't find anything on uh, safety for pregnant women until after the rollout. I couldn't find anything on safety for breastfeeding of new mothers 
when they're when they're given this jab and then they're breastfeeding the baby and now it sh- it shows that the material can pass through the breast milk. None of this was out there because the research hadn't been done. It's it's quite frightening that our health experts are still promoting the the jabs as safe for pregnant women, um, oh, even now, and say that the boosters are safe. And you know it's contrary to everything that's become available and discovered about these products, and yet they're still happily pushing them out. You know, if this was a food product and people have been poisoned by buying products in the supermarket um, that had some sort of contamination in them, uh, they'd be immediately removed off the shelves and, you know, would have public addresses and through the media that if you've got this, because this happens, and if you've got um, this product, you need to either return it or destroy it. It's not fit for human consumption, what have you. Um, you know, and if and if a shop continued in the knowledge of this harm to sell that product to people, and more people got sick or died, or basically killed from it, that shop owner would be facing criminal charges, an investigation and criminal charges, and we've got something on a tremendously much higher scale here where nothing's happened. It's so true. And if it were affecting, you're right, if if there were a bad batch of fish that was causing even food poisoning in a pregnant woman, that, that would be called off the shelves and there would be investigation. But here we've got a massive rise in stillbirths and miscarriages and nothing going on. All right. Well, I mean, it's it's incredible this period right now because so many people around the world are doing their own research and looking into the truths and more and more bad data about these jabs is coming out. But what have you done recently? Come up to your most recent steps and what happened? You know, I've still been carrying on researching, investigating, um, trying to find ways to prevent harm. But when the latest information came out that confirmed that there's been mass contamination of the Pfizer and Moderna products, uh, the COVID jab products, uh, brought about through the manufacturing process, actually, um, which has led to this, all of this dangerous DNA. And, I'm, and again, I just want to say, I'm, I'm not a medical expert. I, I'm, I'm not qualified to talk about the technicalities of this stuff, but I know how to investigate. So this has all come about. Uh, and it now appears, and the World Council for Health have put out um, some talks on it and some information uh, from some of the very, very highly qualified people around the world who are qualified to talk on these on these matters. Um, and it's been confirmed for analysis at various labs around the world. Um, and there's a court case in the Australian Federal Court right now about this whole issue. So this all became available, um, and it turned out also that the product that was given emergency use authorization uh, for Pfizer is not the same product that was given to the people of New Zealand. And the reason was that when they moved into mass production of, of the gene therapy product, the processes were changed to enable rapid mass production of this, of this product, which then led to an issue of contamination. The, the process, the new process for mass production um, was not notified or approved by the FDA, you know, and, and neither was the, the resultant product, 
which has extra sequences in it as well, including a sequence um, of SV40, synovirus, um, which is apparently used sometimes in these procedures. But the issue is that it's also capable of dismantling parts of our immune system, uh, leaving us vulnerable to rapid onset cancers. I mean, this is just one issue of many. And many people are now facing autoimmune diseases, um, poor health, um, heart, heart conditions, rapid cancers, uh, brain tumors, you name it. And there's a very strong chance that this all correlates to this product and the way it's been manufactured. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and yet we're still going on with it. So, I, and I, and know, getting I back to your point, Dan, of negligence, it's utterly negligent yeah. to test a certain batch I, and say this is what we'll put out in the world, and then put out a different batch. That's criminal yeah. negligence, right there. Yeah, but I think we have to remember this isn't the first time Pfizer's been caught in a, in a situation like this. They've got a long history of it, um, including criminal fines. Um, you know, um, making settlements for billions of dollars. Uh, for fraudulent activities um, and fraudulent representation of their products. So it's not something that's, that's new or hasn't been heard or seen before. So I just bear that in mind. But regardless, uh, so I contacted the very same people that I'd contacted back in uh, March 2021, which was the commissioner, a couple of area commanders, superintendent, and actually just said to them, you know, I reminded them of how they failed in their duties, actually, and said, you know, here's a chance for redemption um, because you, there's even more now. As this goes on, we're finding out more and more and more, and the harms are becoming more apparent. And I said, here's a chance for redemption for you. You lot. You know, you, you've contributed to the death and injury of many people in this country through your negligent behaviour. Um, and I challenged them to actually act in accordance with the law and investigate and do something about what's going on. Um, and, I, and I sent the, this email on about the 20th of October and had no response. So I sent it again and I had no response. Uh, you know, and, and some of these these uh, police leaders had told me uh, back in 2021 that they thought I actually may well be right in some of my concerns. Um, but at least, uh, you know, if I was, that at least in, in a couple of years' time, I could turn around and say I told them so, which was a, a bizarre mindset to have. Incredible. Uh, you know, so here we are. Um, this new information, loads of people in New Zealand have been injured uh, and died. And I'm saying here's an opportunity to put this right, put a stop to it, and I get ignored again. Uh, so after three weeks of no response, um, I. I put that email into an open letter from New Zealand because I don't know, you know, I've, and I, I say it again, uh, you know, and, and it's not exactly the same circumstance as Barry Young, but I tried to raise the alarm so many times and I've, yes. I've tried and tried and I've fought back. Um, my options are exhausted with the New Zealand police. I, you know, so what, what else can I do but raise public awareness of where they sit, what they haven't done. Um, so New Zealand doctors speaking out with science very kindly um, put my 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 letter out. Um, and I changed a few personal details um, 
within within the original email because uh, interestingly enough um one of those very high ranking police uh suffered a heart injury from the jab okay um, wow and and you know and another one uh had an adverse reaction and the one that just had an adverse reaction and I don't know what it was um but said that they accepted that because they were told to expect you may have an adverse reaction uh, you know and the one that had the heart problem um you know said to me as well and and also said that if ever asked about it this person would absolutely deny having said it um you know was thankful that some of us stood up for the mandate um and that this high-ranking person said that if they had been made to go on and have a booster they don't know what they would have done because they already had you know suffered heart damage uh, just it's just like a, a kick in the guts to hear things like that. That's incredible, um, isn't it? That he didn't know that he would have stood up and said, "No more, no more. This has injured me. I'm not having one more." And they're yeah. still equivocating. It's yeah. it's it's the it's the mindset, and it is the mindset that roots right back up to the people in charge. And in your case, or in the case of your former employee employment, it roots right back to Andrew. Costa, the commissioner of police. He is keeping it going just as in mainstream media, they are keeping their lies going to prop up the government as well. And they must yeah. know by now the numbers who are dying, the numbers who are injured, Dan. I, I, I'm sure. I mean, there are people in the police that have been injured. I mean, there's more than those, those two examples. Um, those two are just people that could have done something. You know, they could have stood up and made some noise. Um, where are they? You know, not prepared to give up their salaries um, to do the right thing. Uh, you know, I I want the commissioner gone. There's no good coming from him. Uh, and actually, I've emailed the new minister of police twice, asking for uh, Mr. Costa's uh, removal from office or um, his resigna resignation to be tendered, because the harm's continuing. People are, people are dying uh, and they're being seriously injured and people are feeling the longer-term consequences of that product. That we, Well, we as an organisation and he as the head of the organisation could have stopped. Have you heard that from, have you heard from the new Minister of Police, Mark Mitchell? No, no response. All right, I think there are actions that can be taken here. So I'd like you to write down the camera, talk to Andrew Costa with your call, and then I think we ask the New Zealand public to write en masse to the new Minister of Police, Mark Mitchell, demanding his resignation. But put your call as if Andrew Costa was right in front of you, Dan. Say what you would say. Address him as Andrew. Andrew, I don't even know where to start, mate, because what's happened to you? I don't believe you're always like this. Um, you know, how do you how do you account or sleep at night knowing that you failed to act, and you you had every mechanism available to you to do something, and you could have acted independently, uh, you know, from the from the government because you you are actually authorised to do that. Um, so 
if you're not prepared to act, where do you sit? Are you are you part of the problem? I, I actually now feel that you are. Um, you know, I gave you the benefit of the doubt at the very beginning of all this. I appealed to you and I appealed to you on multiple occasions. Um, and you've you've ignored me. So here I am. Uh, this is the last thing that I actually wanted to do. I wanted to try and get this resolved uh, without having to go to this length. But I've got no options left. So people need to know that you're not the right man to be in that job. And you actually need to be looked at um, for the harm that you've contributed to. That's very, very powerful. Dan, if if sectors of our police are corrupt, who then investigates those who are corrupt? How do we do it with these layers of, of corruption? It's clear there's corruption within the ranks of our former politicians under Labour. There's a question mark over the current lot because they're staying quiet in the face of the data drop in the face of grave wrongdoing. So that marks them out as possibly complicit. Time will tell. But who investigates if sectors of the police are corrupt themselves? How do we do that, Dan? As a former policeman, can you give some advice? For a start, I think we need more people to come forward. Mm. You know, we need we need people in the medical world because I hear off record of you know, huge increases of, of cancer uh, not seen before um, and, and rapid, rapidly developing to stage four cancers. Um, you know, and I, and I hear of um, people with so many um, people with heart problems that, you know, it's difficult to, to get looked at or seen by specialists. I mean, and I've also heard that some of these specialists are telling people to get no more jabs and get no more boosters. So what does that tell you? Um, at some point, You've got to be prepared to give up your income, or and it may not be income; it might be fear. But we we are all in, or I'm no, no longer, but you guys are still in professions um, that are meant to be looking out for people. And I, I'm tired of, um, you know, we've got to break away from this bias from our New Zealand experts as well. Uh, you know, our government-approved experts who get on the television and, and you know tell us what's what. And, you know, and anyone that doesn't go along with it's a conspiracy theorist or a nutter or, uh, you know, an anti-vaxxer. I'm not anti-vaxxer. I'm anti-corruption and I'm anti-violence, which which translates to serious assaults um, and murder, which is how I see what's happening now because we've had fair warning um, and we've still done nothing. So, you know, it's not easy. I think we need to, the people need to bring the momentum uh, and it's people that are in, in areas that are seeing the damage. They need to come forward. There's plenty of very capable investigators in this country outside of the police who are capable of investigating. Um, if they've got something to work with, and we can bring our own prosecutions in this country. So I still have hope that we can be heard in our judicial system. Um, and if that fails us, then we, we have other options. You know, we can we can conduct the people's grand jury if, if it's required. You know, there are options, but we need people to step up, stand up, and tell us what they know before that can happen. We need whistleblowers en masse now in New Zealand here and around the world to be inspired by people like you and Barry. We also need 
letters to Mark Mitchell demanding that Andrew Costa be be uh, asked to step down and fully investigated. Daniel, what has been the response to your open letter from the New Zealand public? Has it been a strong one? Yeah, uh, I'll say um, of all the comments that have come back, it, 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 you know, it appears there's only a small amount that are, are, are negative, where a lot of people seem to relate to um, having a story to tell or knowing of something or someone or um, that's been affected in some way by all of what's happened and and oftentimes by as a result of the jab. So it's almost like something that's not spoken about still uh, publicly too much, but there is a lot of support. So it's up to us to do something about it. I mean, it was interesting. So the, the letter that I, that I sent and that I then ended up putting out as an open letter, uh, after no responses, I did an official information act request to the police because I thought, well, I, I'm pretty sure they would have got my, my letter because it was sent directly to their police email addresses. So I wanted to know what communications were had over it. And I got a response, and this is the only time I've had a response from them about it. And it was basically just telling me, and it didn't, didn't go into what detail of the communications they'd had, but they'd had legal discussions and all sorts of things. But they said to me, yes, we've, you know, you've you've made your concerns available to us on multiple occasions, um, and we won't be pursuing an investigation into this uh, COVID health response. But then they said to me, however, um, I, I'm more than welcome to address my concerns to the, uh, the Royal Commission of Inquiry into the COVID response, um, which to me was completely unacceptable because we've got active crime being committed right now, serious crime, uh, and I've been told to go to a commission that's looking at how we can do things better next time. Uh, you know, people are still being injured. They're still promoting this uh, defective, fraudulent product. Um, and people are still taking it because they don't know. So there's a serious crime going on. And the police have said they're not interested in looking at it. It is so it so sums up the normal meaningless inquiry by a government, doesn't it? Jacinda Ardern's COVID inquiry had such narrow terms of reference as to render it utterly futile. Let's hope that Winston Peters pushes hard for his one and that it looks into this. But the question is, as you say, the police should be taking active steps now to stop further deaths and injury in New Zealand, and instead they fob it off. And this goes back to the leadership. So, Andrew Costa, I back up Dan Picknell's call. You need to be, your reign as Commissioner of Police needs to be ended in New Zealand. I feel also it is absolutely corrupt. Where we'll go with this, Dan, I would like you to read out your letter. We'll put that out as a separate piece so the New Zealand public can hear it in your words. And I would ask you to come back in after Christmas into another interview and we'll see what follow-up you've had to either of those. But as a further example of the finest of what New Zealand has to offer, as opposed to Andrew Croster, you are the finest. You and Barry Young are the finest, the whistleblowers, the people standing up, calling out the lies, no matter the cost, to yourselves. I thank you so much, Dan Picknell. Thank you, Liz. I appreciate it.